Our first scripture reading comes from the New Testament, from the book of James, chapter 4, verses 1 through 17. And if you'd like to follow along, it's in the Pew Bible towards the back, page 230. What causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire but do not have, so you kill. You covet, but you cannot get what you want, so you quarrel and fight. You do not have because you do not ask God. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You adulterous don't you know that friendship with the world means enmity against God? Therefore, anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you think scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he has caused to dwell in us? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Submit yourselves then to God, Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. Brothers and sisters, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against a brother or sister or judges them speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you are not keeping you are not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There is only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow, we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business and make money. Why, you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is sin for them. The word of God for the people of God. We'll continue today's reading in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29, verses 1 through 17. These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the exiles and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King Jeconiah and the queen mother, the court officials, the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the artisans and the smiths had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elisa, son of Shaphan, and Gamariah, son of Hilkah, whom King of Zedekiah of Judah sent to Babylon, to King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon. It said, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I have sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease, but seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile. 
and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you, and do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's seventy years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For surely I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord, plans for your welfare and not for harm, to give you a future with hope. Then when you call upon me and come and pray to me, I will hear you. When you search for me, you will find me, if you seek me with all your heart. I will let you find me, says the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, says the Lord, and I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Because you have said, the Lord has raised up prophets for us in Babylon, thus says the Lord concerning the king who sits on the throne of David and concerning all the people who live in the city, your kinsfolk who did not go out with you into exile. Thus says the Lord of hosts, I'm going to let loose on them sword, famine, and pestilence, and I will make them like rotten figs that are so bad they cannot be eaten. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Imagine, if you will, a woman who is going through divorce. She's sitting with her friends and she's talking about how difficult her life had become because of that. And one of the friends, meaning well, tells her it's all a part of God's plan. It'll all work out in the end. Likewise, a man who had worked hard, thought he was following God's will in the career that he had gone into. He spent day in, day out working this career, doing the best that he could. And he thought for sure everything was going to work out. He had gone to school and and done all of these things. and, And doors seemed to be closing around him at every moment. He just couldn't take those next steps. He couldn't get where he thought God's plan was taking him. And he was feeling stuck. And again, someone close to him says, don't worry. It's all a part of God's plan. Now these words falling on these two people's ears do not offer the comfort that perhaps the person was trying to give. When we're caught in difficult situations, when, when, when things are not going right, when, when all the world con- it seems to be conspiring against us, the last thing that we want to hear, at least the last thing that I would want to hear, is that this is all part of God's plan. Now there's a way of understanding God's plan where this sort of makes sense, but it doesn't make it any better. I call this the blueprint plan. This is the idea that God from the beginning of time has decided what was going to happen and and everything that's going to happen is a part of what God has willed. Whether good or bad, God is causing it to happen to build up the house that he had planned from the beginning. Another way of looking at this blueprint plan is individually. God has a plan for your life. And like a blueprint, every wall has to go in the right place, every window has to go in the right place, every header, every electrical line, every plumbing has to go exactly where it was planned or the house will fall down. Now the problem that I often run into 
is I've made a lot of mistakes in my life, and I continue to do so. There are times where I have chosen to work against God's will and God's plan and God's desires. There have been times where in sin I have gone a different way. And if I've done that, and I suspect many of you in this room have done so as well, then did you build a wall in the wrong place? Did you derail God's blueprint because you chose to go a different way? Or did you go a different way because God was God's will for you so that the wall ended up in the same place? Now, I, I've, I've talked to Rebecca about this to make sure that I don't get in any trouble, but this the same idea of there's that one person that was designed for us. Our one true love, that we will meet them one day, we will fall in love with each other, and we will spend the rest of our lives together. For a lot of people, that hasn't worked out. Sometimes the person they thought they were going to love has met someone else along the way because of some choices that they made. Or you ended up in a different spot than you were originally planned to go, where you would have met. For me, this idea of this blueprint plan is problematic because of my own actions, because of the, my own sins and my own choices that were clearly against God's plan. And for the reason that I don't believe that God specifically plans for bad things to happen. I can't believe in a God that would cause the Holocaust as a part of his plan because he needed this other thing to happen. Now, there are Christian traditions that believe in, in, intently in God's sovereignty, that nothing happens outside of God's will, that God's choices are the only things that happen. I've had conversations with, some, with people like this, and they, they usually go in a, a slightly weird way. But there's this idea that if God didn't want this bad thing to happen, then he would have stopped it. So it must be a part of God's plan. The other issue I find with it is the idea, this idea of free will. Can we choose how we live? Can we make cho choices that honor God? And can we make choices that dishonor God? Do we get to choose along the way how we partner with God and how we don't? If God's plan is like a blueprint and everything happens according to God's plan and God's will then we have no choice in the matter. Things will just end up the way they were intended to end up. And as Methodists, we understand that God may have placed limits on himself, placed limits on his sovereignty of causing things to happen when he created humanity and gave us the choice to choose him or not. Out of a desire that out of that exercising that free will, we would choose to love him. Choose to honor him and choose to follow after him. And when we don't, there's all kinds of uh, implications and ramifications of that. We don't have to look that far into the world to see that it is not fully according to God's purposes and plans. If God's plans are for mercy and justice and wholeness. You don't have to watch the news or visit a news site on the internet for very long to see examples where that wasn't the case. And so we're left with this question. Is all of that a part of God's plan? And we're just actors on the stage, writing, speaking the script that has already been written. 
Or is God's plan and God's will something else entirely? I've been trying to play with some metaphors that might help you. And the one that I've settled on for this morning, and I say this morning because we all know some different metaphor might be helpful later down the road, but what if God's plan is less like a blueprint where the house is going to be built exactly how it was designed or it's just going to fall down, but instead God's plan was, a, was more like a navigational compass, guiding path. Now, I, in Scouts, I did some uh, navigating. We did some uh, orienteering, and sometimes we made it to where we were trying to get to, and other times not so much as we struggled to figure out how to use the compass that we had been given and how to use the map that we had been given. But as we're walking on the journey, we know what we need, where we need to go. We have the tools to get there, to guide us there, but too often we had this propensity to make a wrong turn, to veer off course, or to use the map and compass wrong. Either way, we didn't end up where we thought we were going. But we still had the compass and we still had the tools and we could sit down, turn around and go back, or find a new heading and then go to that place that we were going. Now, if we think about God's will and God's plan as this navigational compass, what are the ramifications? What does it mean? I believe that this navigational compass this is, is a calling, a desire for us to choose God, to choose his will, to choose his desires for us and for the world. And those are our are, are choices that bring justice and mercy, that proclaim release to the captives, that uh, uh, give food to the hungry that treat people like living human beings made in the image of God. And we can do any of these things wherever we find ourselves, whatever career we find ourselves, whatever circumstance, whatever living condition we find ourselves. Wherever we are, we can find those moments and to live like Jesus in this world, to be his disciples, to love him more each day and to love the people that he has placed in our lives more each day. The good news for us, and this is why God's grace is so important, is we make bad choices. We veer off course. We decide to set our sights on something other than what God wants for us, this, this, this way of living in this world that shapes us to be more like Christ, and his grace guides us back. His grace will often tell us convict us to say you are going astray and sometimes this is readily apparent you've gotten to the end point where you don't you can't go any further maybe you're on a hike and you reach a cliff wall where there should have been a path and you're like there is nowhere else I can go I absolutely have to find a new way I absolutely have to turn around and you can sit you can break out the compass. You can break out the map. Who does God want me to be in these moments? Where did I go wrong? And by his grace and forgiveness, we can turn around. We can find a new path. And we can begin the journey again. All progress is not lost. The house will not fall over. Our life is not destroyed. Instead, we are invited 
take a new journey, go in a new direction. To me, the power and the beauty of grace and repentance and living a new way of turning around is this idea that we haven't ruined our life. The choices that we've made don't define us. They don't mean we're constantly going to spend the rest of our life trying to climb a cliff or staring at the walls of a cliff with no way out just because we've made these choices along the way. of it is that we can turn around, we can spend time with God, we can spend time in the scripture, we can t- spend time in small groups in prayer with one another and say, where do I go from here? Sometimes we've got to spend some time figuring out where we went wrong to figure out where we need to go. Other times when it's readily apparent, we figure out how to get back, but we can take those journey, that journey All is not lost. The house will not crumble. There is joy and salvation, mercy and redemption. For me, this understanding of God's plan, not as the definitive guide to how things will turn out in every situation, and, and, and if I just, God, just speak to me and tell me what you want me to do. I don't know how many times I've prayed that prayer. Just give me the booming voice like Moses had, and I will follow you and do what you tell me to do, and I will end up where you want me to go, and everything will end up in order. I haven't had that moment, and chances are I'd probably question God to begin again, even if I heard the voice and said, are you sure? And still won't go where he wants me to go nature of humanity. It's a nature of, 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 of giving that choice. Now this may be less comforting for some of you, this idea of God's will as a navigational compass, because one of the reasons why we like the blueprint plan, one of the reasons why we uh, find some comfort, at least in speaking the words that it's all a part of God's plan, is that if, uh, it, it If it's a part of God's plan, then it has some kind of cosmic significance. There's a reason that it happened. It isn't for nothing. If it's a part of God's plan, then and and we uh, have that blueprint understanding, then we can get through the difficult situations because we know it's going to lead somewhere else uh, to to God's flourishing. And I understand that. I understand the desire and the need that when we go through something difficult, a loss of a loved one, an illness, a broken relationship, we want in that moment, in the depths of that despair and that hurt, we want to be able to say, this will, this will bring something better about. And the navigational model, that understanding, the compass, doesn't really provide Not unless we dig deep. This Jeremiah passage, which I apparently didn't clear, I'm sorry. The people are in exile. They have been taken from their homes. The leadership of Jerusalem, the kings and the queens and the courts and the prophets and all of these people had been taken from Jerusalem by the Babylonians. And the only people that were left in the country were the farmers, the the workers, the the non-important people. 
And in, uh, in, Babylon, in Babylon, some of the prophets were saying, surely the Lord will save us soon. Be ready to leave at any moment. These were the false prophets, what the false prophets that Jeremiah was talking about were saying, that be ready, that the exile will come to an end. At any point, God will save us. So don't get settled in, don't build houses, don't do any of that, and everything will end soon and we're all going to go back home. This was, is comforting to the people. And Jeremiah had the unfortunate task of saying something else. This exile is going to take a while. You're going to be living in Babylon for a while. Build houses, plant gardens, get married, marry off your sons and daughters. This is going to be a while and you should get settled in and you should pray for the cities and the towns that you find yourselves in. Pray for their welfare. But there will be a point when the exile will be over. There will be a time when things will work out. We can trust in God's guidance and providence that in the midst of our difficulties, he's still at work. In the midst of those challenges that we've built for ourselves because of the choices we've made when we've gone off, uh, off, uh, off path, or even those things that happen to us because we live in a world where pain and suffering unfortunately exist, not outside of our own choices. The faith that we have in God is not that he, will, he is somehow causing these things to happen so that something better will come about. That in the midst of these challenges, in the midst of these difficulties, God is with us. And there will be a time when things will get better. A lot of these sayings I found over the last uh, few weeks and even in this whole series have come around to the, our, our, what we say when bad things happen. And I hope we get away from that because it, it just seems to be a common theme because we're uncomfortable in difficult times. We're uncomfortable about what to say and offer, and, and offer comfort to someone else. But a repeating theme is perhaps we don't need to say anything. Perhaps we just need to sit and be with the person who's hurting. Perhaps we don't need to say that what you're going through is a part of some divine plan, but instead just saying, you know, this really does suck. But I'm with you. God's with you. And as, even though we cannot see it now, it will get better. And sometimes just sitting with somebody is the best form of comfort that we can And our faith is borne out that understanding that God does not leave us where we are. God is not orchestrating from some distant past, setting a, uh, the path forward that we will follow, but instead walks beside us, calling us to him, giving us the strength to get through each new day, calling us into a deeper relationship with him so that we might truly live out his will and desire for us. How we live in this world and interact with him one another. As a church, this follows through. I don't believe that God has some sort of, uh, of plan of what the ministries that we are going to do are and how we can do them and, and follow it out, that there's not this specific thing that, that we have to do, and if we don't, nothing will work. That blueprint got, uh, model of ministry. Instead, what we are called to 
is to be a, a, a beacon on a hill, salt of the earth, a way of living in this world that reaches out into our community to see where it is, to see where the hurts and the pain is, to see where the seeking is, where those who are, have questions and a desire to know more, to find them and to meet them where they are and accompany, accompany them on their journey. Maybe offer some guidance here and there, but a guidance born out of your own experiences and your relationship with them. That way of doing ministry doesn't come about by programs and changes to and starting up new ministries. It comes from a deep, born-out desire to be in our community, to see people in our community be transformed by the power and presence of Christ in their lives. To help them know that whatever they're going through, whatever challenges they face, whatever questions and doubts they might have, they are welcome to explore them and take this journey. There is a better way, different than what they've tried before. I hope this is freeing idea that God's plan might be more of a navigational compass guiding us in the right direction. Because then we don't have to worry about choosing the right thing at every moment and worrying that we might mess up if we don't and might derail everything if we go a different way. It should be freeing so that if we're choosing, if the choices that we're making is out of a desire to honor and please God, we may choose right, we may choose wrong in how we do that. But in making that choice out of a desire to honor God, we are at least heading in the right direction. And if we do that together, and we share with one another, we walk beside one another, and we course correct with one another, then we will end up in a place that is pleasing and honoring to God because that's where we're aiming So I hope, I pray that you find comfort in God's grace. Comfort that repentance and turning around is possible. Comfort in knowing that the choices that you've made already don't define you. And the choices that we've made as a church already don't define us. But there is a future and a hope of transformation available to each and every one of us made possible by that desire and that free will that God has given us, that desire to choose him.